on our Lenten journey, we have moved from the desert of temptations to the mountain of transformation. We meet our God, the giver of life, through the faith of Abraham, the preaching of Paul to the early church in Rome, and in the transfigured person of Jesus Christ. Who among us is not concerned about our future, or the future in general? Or at least we wonder about it from time to time. We wonder with concern about the larger world in which we live, when there might be peace among and within nations, when there might be no more war or atrocities in the human family. And we wonder about the slightly smaller world that is our country, about when there will be harmony among its people and no more isms to separate us. And we are concerned about the even smaller but very important world where we live and where we work and where we fashion relationships. Concern about the future of young people, of children, and about ourselves. A future that, that eludes us, but it still gets a lot of our attention. Can we know for sure what is to come? Can we plan every detail and manage every contingency? Can we guarantee the outcome? Abraham's future looked pretty good. He and Sarah had a child in their old age, and they were so delighted that they called him Isaac. We are told the name Isaac means laughter. And then God asked a favor of Abraham, a very big favor. And Abraham obliged God's request and set out to sacrifice his son, his most precious gift, the text says, his beloved. The very gift that God had arranged. And in that moment, God asked Abraham for his future. This is not a story of human sacrifice or of a father's lack of protection of his son. It is a story of human trust and of divine love in response to that trust. It is a story meant to capture the imagination of a people, the people of God, to call them back to the fidelity and the trust of the God who had called them initially, had named them, protected them, saved them, fed them, and gave them a future. And so this story reminded him so clearly that God was and would continue to be the source of their life, 
especially that life that they had not yet known. In the culture of Abraham's time, a son had a great significance, a great importance. The son was the symbol of hope and a source that there was meaning in life. That was the way it was in a tribal family culture with land and flocks needed for survival, the male heir would bring this about. And God asked Abraham for all of that. God asked for his future. And this is our story for all the same reasons. We can let go of the past, sometimes with with difficulty, and we can even deal with the past, the unpleasant parts in our tradition through the sacrament of reconciliation. And we can embrace the present moment if only for a moment, and then it is no longer. But it's very hard to give our future over to anyone even to God. Where does that kind of trust come from? Perhaps Paul puts it best, if God is for us, who could be against us? Paul might also have said, what could be against us? What would shape our faith in the God who did not spare God's Son? For our sake. Lots of things perhaps happen that do that. I suppose tragedies in the world around us, some from nature, some from human choices. Disasters disturb us, some make us angry or bitter, some lead us to despair, to despair even of goodness. Through all of these, can we still trust? So I think the fundamental question of being a believer at any time, can we still trust when the future is unknown and when God asks for that future? What might that trust even look like? I was trying to think of an image, something real. And I thought of a little child when they are encouraged by their parents or their grandparents to take their first step. And they reach out toward the parent, the grandparent, who is encouraging them to let go of the arm of the chair, the coffee table, let go of whatever for that moment roots them in security and safety and to take a few steps on the road. And on their face, because I have to admit that as a, a kind and loving uncle, I have invited a niece or a nephew or now a grandniece or a grandnephew 
to do that same thing. But on the face of this child is like this mixture of fear and anticipation. Fear that they'll end up face first on the floor. And a kind of anticipation that that outstretched hand can be reached and can be trusted. And in that moment, there is trust. They may not even be able to speak, like Peter today, who Mark says he didn't know what to say. He was so terrified. And so he said something really odd. Let's build three tents here. Peter, hello, from top of a mountain. And two of the people you're talking to are dead. This is an apparition. You gotta love Peter. You just have to love Peter. But in that moment of connection and response, and a profound sense of presence, there is a communion, a transformation. This is true of the world of the disciples and of the world of a child. My favorite theologian, Lucy, in the comic strip, Peanuts, turns to Charlie Brown as they watch the little Sally take her first step. And Lucy says, you know, once you stand up, your whole world changes. For the disciples, they would follow Jesus onto Jerusalem, even in their lack of understanding, to cross to the cross and to the empty tomb. And their whole world would change dramatically. And as Mark points out, they still didn't know what rising from the dead meant. Jesus asked them to give him their future. Being in communion with God is not only to trust, but to understand that that trust is transformative. And whether we use the word transform or transfigure, it means to radiate, and to radiate outwards. Jesus radiates, as Mark says, a light like they had never seen before. It was a prefigure of the resurrection. Jesus, in total communion with the Father, in total trust, invites them and us into that same communion. Our faith calls us to that trust, to the trust of Abraham, a trust that becomes life, a light that radiates from us with Christ, the light that is the God who transforms the world and who asks for our future.